The text for the sermon this evening is taken from that reading from John 19, specifically these words. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. That is the text. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So through this season of Lent, we've been following a theme that is the witnesses to Christ. So on Ash Wednesday, we focused on John the Baptist. And throughout the, the season, we've also heard about Peter. We've heard about Barabbas. We've heard about Pontius Pilate. We've heard about Judas and various others. Tonight... We look at the witness, the one who actually has been writing the words that we have been reading throughout these weeks. The Apostle John, the evangelist. He, he never identifies himself by name in his Gospels. He always identifies himself as the other disciple, or the disciple whom Jesus loved. But he calls himself a witness. For a witness, indeed, he is to all the events and the life of Jesus. And it's not just during the season of Lent that you've heard from John. In fact, if you go all the way back to Christmas Day, you heard John about John saying these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he proceeds to tell that everything that exists, anything that has existed, came from him. So in other words, the word who is, who became flesh, who is the second person of the Trinity, who is Jesus, he spoke everything into existence. So when you read Genesis 1 and you read the words, read God, God said, let there be light. The one who is saying, let there be light, is the second person of the Trinity. That is Jesus. Now when God, when creation had finished, you get, got to that sixth day in Genesis 1, it says of creation that it is what? Very good. So there's no sin, no death, no sickness, no conflict, no war, nothing that we know of in our own lives. But it did not last. Now we don't know how much time really passed between creation and the fall, but we know it did not last. Because they would be in the garden, they would see that fruit, they would know not to partake of it, but they partake of it nonetheless. And so the world would fall into sin, they fell into sin, death entered the world, and every consequence that came with it. All of creation was affected by their fall. If you want to see any more obvious evidence of this, is the fact that they, clothed them, they were clothed with the skins of animals. Prior to the fall, they lived in communion with the animals. 
They had a relationship with the animals. But after the fall, in order to keep them warm, to keep them protected, they had to be clothed with the skin of an animal. The sinful nature which came into the world through Adam and Eve, through the first man and woman, is a sinful nature that carries all the way down to you. You, when you were conceived, you were conceived a sinner. Now, if you're here on Sunday, Palm Sunday, I talked about the good way to tell where your sins are. You could go look at the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And there's, of course, those meanings and what the deeper meaning and understanding of all those commandments. But I'm going to tell you that the fact that you break those commandments, that is not why you are a sinner. On the contrary, you do those things, you break those commandments because you are a sinner. Your sins are a symptom of your underlying nature. You are a sinner. You are conceived, you are born in rebellion to God. And so when we realize, we look at our sin and we look at our condition, we look at what happens to our world in the midst of our sin, we are so very, very much convinced that we have a way to solve it. Because we know this sin of ours it's not good. We see the war. We see the conflict in our world. So we try, we think we can get it down. Now, in case you don't know, um, our sermon series that we've been following this year was written by Reed Lessing. He's a, he used to be a professor at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, and now he's a, a head of the pre-sem department at Concordia St. Paul. And he gave a pretty nice list of ways that we, we believe that we could cover our sin. So his first idea is that we like to project our sin upon another. What this means is, well, here's the oldest version of this. The devil made me do it. If it wasn't for the devil, I wouldn't sin at all. Or, let's go a little bit more, uh, more common one. It's all my brother's fault, or my sister's fault. They made me do it. If they, didn't, if they weren't there, I would have never done that thing I wasn't supposed to do. It's all their fault. Anybody ever blame their siblings for things you did wrong? Or maybe you blame a coworker. Or how about this? Blame the government. Blame the system. 
The system worked against me. If the world, if the system wasn't the way it was, then I wouldn't have done the thing that I have done. The problem is, is even if there is some level of truth that they convinced you, no one can actually make you do anything. You still did it of your own will. Now, you might have had someone that did work really, really hard to convince you, and you really, really listened to them, but ultimately the only one who carries the blame for your breaking of God's commands is you. Then, since that doesn't work, maybe we can rationalize our sin. And so the way we do this, and we say, well, you know what? It's really not that big of a deal. There's a lot worse things that we, I could have done. This really, we just, we're just blowing this out of proportion. Or, this is the way that our world likes to do it. You know what? I don't believe it is a sin. That's what we want. We are told, or even go farther, there is no such thing as sin. We try to convince ourselves. There is actually, this is what you call, or you have relativism, where morality is up to you. You say, well, you know what? You may think that's a sin, but to me it isn't. And so therefore it isn't a sin. It's a sin to you, but not a sin to me. We will try to rationalize. And by the way, this is why you have things such as the, the Moral Justification for Rape, a book that is available on Amazon, or at least it was at one time. That is what rationalization does. If you want to see much more common, I'm a, people are arguing that they are a man trapped in a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body. And what they believe is true, not what they were actually created to be. We will try any way to explain away our sin and try to make it not sin at all. And guess what? It's still sin. Whether you believe it is or not, it is sin. Or maybe we might try to compare ourselves to others and say, you know what, I am not as bad as my sister. Or I'm not as bad as that guy in the house down the street. You would have believed the things that he does. So we think that, well, I'm not so bad. This kind of is a little bit similar to that rationalization where we try to say it's not so bad. Really good example of how this, we, how this really doesn't work. Think of, the, of David and Bathsheba. It began where David was supposed to go off to war with his soldiers, but he was being, he wanted to take a nap, he wanted to rest. So it's, okay, late, being lazy, that's not the worst thing in the world. It's not like 
he is lusting after anybody. Well, he goes up onto the top of the house and he sees the beautiful wife of his neighbor. And he decides, well, I guess that's not too bad. It's just lust. At least he's not committing adultery. Well, of course, he invites her over. He sleeps with her, gets her pregnant. Well, it's just adultery. At least it isn't murder. Well, of course, he ended up having Uriah murdered. See how our sin works? Sometimes it starts with a little thing, and then it, domin it dominoes into something bigger and bigger and bigger. Or maybe we'll deny that we sinned at all. We'll pretend it never, ever happened. I know it happened, but nobody else knows. It's, it's, it's kind of like the elephant in the room. We just pretend the elephant isn't there, and that means it's not there. But guess what? You play the game of ignoring the elephant in the room, if there's actually an elephant in the room, it doesn't matter if you're ignoring it, the elephant is still there. Same thing with your sin. You cannot pretend it's not there. It is there whether you acknowledge it or not. Or maybe we will get so, we decide that we'll get really busy. We'll fill our lives with activities. And we'll be so busy that we don't have time to sin. But the problem is, is when we get that busy, we in fact are filling ourselves with sin. Because very often when we are getting consumed with busyness, which as Americans somehow in our culture, we think being busy is a, a virtue. The reality is, is you find yourself serving a multitude of idols. And those idols end up doing damage to relationships. Relationships with children, relationship with spouses, relationship with your neighbors, relationship with your God. It all suffers as we make our lives busier and busier and busier. And one of the, the things that we have done is we have done expertly taught our children and our youth to do the exact same thing, to be their own little workaholics, just like the rest of the, our world. Speaking of workaholism, that's the other solution. We think of a way to feed our sin. And so we find things, we, maybe we find a pill. And I'm not just talking about medical psychology drugs. I'm talking about those medicines that we find on the counter, or maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's something that is def definitely not sold in your local drugstore. Or maybe it's some other addiction. We've an addiction such as maybe pornography or drugs, whatever it may be, to distract us from the sins that we have, not realizing that those addictions are sin themselves. 
Now, in the case of drinking, alcohol in and of itself isn't a sin, but overindulgence is. Every solution we come up with to solve our problem of sin only creates more sin. And so John is bearing witness to the solution. The actual solution to sin does not come from anything you have done, anything you ever will do. And I could probably add another way we thought we could solve sin is that we believe that we can be good enough, that our good works could cancel out a bad deed. But John bears witness to a much greater solution. In fact, the only solution. For he was there when Jesus was arrested. And he bare witness to it. He was there to bear witness to Jesus as he was betrayed by Judas. He was there to bear witness to Jesus before Caiaphas, where Caiaphas asked him, are you the Christ or are you not? And Jesus answered, yes, John witnessed this. John was there to witness the trial before Pilate. And Pilate's doing everything he can to let Jesus go. And he, he heard the words, crucify him, crucify him. He heard as they demanded Barabbas rather than Jesus. He heard as they, they said, we have no king but Caesar. Oh, that was horrible to hear those words. If you ever read of what C Tiberius Caesar was like, that was the most reprehensible thing. Tiberius was a wretched, wretched man. And yet these reli Jewish religious leaders would rather claim him as their king than Jesus. John would have witnessed the flogging, the cat of nine tails with the bone, the sheep, the sharpened sheep bone, the metal balls by which there'd be metal welts in their back. Strips of flesh torn off until his back would look like hamburger meat. He was there to witness as Jesus had to carry his cross, but he was beaten so bad from the flogging he could not carry it on his own. John would have been there when Jesus would receive nails like this one. No, they're not like those little finishing nails you'd use to build a birdhouse or something. No, it would be like this, to go right into the wrists, going through all those nerves and everything. He was there to see those nails go into his hands, into his feet. He would see as he would struggle to breathe, because crucifixion, that's what it was. It was a constant state of pulling themselves up just to get a, gra a gasp of breath. You'd hear as Jesus would speak, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He would hear him as he would speak words of comfort to the other thief. Today you will be with me in paradise. He would hear as Jesus would say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
He would hear as Jesus would speak to him. John, the disciple whom he loved. And he would say to his mother, of John, behold your son. And to John he would say, behold your mother. He would be there as he heard Jesus say, it is finished. And to say the words, into your, into your hands I commit my spirit. He would witness as the one who breathed life into Adam would breathe his last breath on earth and die. He would see as the world was black. He would witness the shaking of the earth. He would witness as the soldiers would break the legs of the other two thieves. Basically a measure to make sure they died much quicker. And Jesus, he would witness that spear go into his side going right to his heart, and out would come water and blood, letting you know that he was in fact dead. He would witness as he would be taken to a tomb. And the thing is, there's a theme all through the Gospel of John, is that nobody understands anything. Last Sunday, for Palm Sunday, we're talking about expectations versus reality. Nobody understood why Jesus was riding into Jerusalem. And so also John, as he bore witness to this crucifixion, he did not understand why it happened. And he would not understand on April 5th of 33 AD when he came to that tomb, Mary Magdalene said it was empty. He didn't understand why it was empty. He thought that somebody took it, took the body. It would take a while for him to understand it all. But by the time he wrote this gospel, oh, he understood it. He understood that the solution to sin that was not to ever be found in you it's found in the blood of the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world away. As John the Baptist proclaimed, John the Apostle heard those with his own ears. He understood it, that that is where the Lamb of God was sacrificed. And he shed his blood to bring forgiveness, to bring a solution to sin that no man could find. And that blood and that water that came out, he would eventually understand that it was not just telling you that he died. It was not a coincidence that that spear went into the side. So it's that very words in Genesis, the side is where God took from Adam to create Eve. And so from that side came water, pointing to baptism. For in baptism, you hear it at a funeral. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? In other words, when you were brought to the waters of baptism, you were united to Jesus on who was crucified on April 3rd at 33. You were crucified with him. Your sinful nature died and buried 
with him. Think of the pouring of the water like the pouring of dirt for a grave. Out came blood. Why? Because every wedding has a great feast. And he invites you to a feast regularly, those who are faithful. He invites you to his table where he gives bread and wine under which is his body and blood given to you for the forgiveness of sins. And so by his, the water and the word and baptism, by the, the word and the bread and the wine, which is his body and blood, he gives you forgiveness of sins. And where there is forgiveness of sins, there is life, there is salvation. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world died for you, gave himself for you, for that which you could not achieve. John bears witness that you may believe. In fact, you'll hear it in the Gospel lesson in two weeks. He says, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing in him, you would have life. That is what he bore witness to. And guess what? That is what you are a witness of. Now, you haven't heard it, you haven't seen it with your eyes, but you know the word seeing is believing. But you also have heard with your ears. You have been witness with your ears of the love of Christ, of his sacrifice. And so you, just like John, are called to bear witness to the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation in Christ. And if you're wondering a really good time to invite people, Easter is two days away. Invite people to come hear of their Savior risen for them, conquering sin. To him be all glory. Amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith, to life everlasting. Amen.